0: Let's
1: invite the Lord in this morning so we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy Yeah. You so much, and we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we pray now that in a very special way you will enter into our spirits and cause us, oh God, to worship you in a way that will be truly pleasing in your sight. We pray, Father, that you will exalt yourself in our midst. The psalmist says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so as we praise you, as we thank you today, as we celebrate you in your word, we pray, Father, that you would truly have your own way. So help us, Lord, preach now in the power of your spirit. Give bread to every eater. Give seed to the sower. And when you do that, which only you are capable of doing, we'll give you the praise and glory that is thine. Amen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It reads, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? And we're going to focus our preaching on that second verse. And I'm giving it the theme today of the ultimate survivor. This is so relevant uh, to us and to the church at this point in the church's journey, in the church's pilgrimage, in this contemporary culture, because we are facing challenges. And if there was ever a time that we need to reaffirm the fundamental creeds, the fundamental confessions that are a part of our faith, then that time is now. Uh, we are facing so many challenges. That's why uh, the celebration from a biblical point of view of Easter and what it means amidst the commercialism that so grips this season. It is so important that through song and sermon and drama, we reaffirm those things that are fundamental to our faith. Joe Beiger lived in Dallas, Texas, and one morning he got up he woke up, this father, this grandfather, this athletic director at a high school, and went out the door into the fog of the morning to walk his dogs, and he forgot who he was. And he wandered in the streets of Dallas, a homeless person for 25 days, unkept and unclean, and then Providentially, the man who was the contractor who was building a house for Joe and his wife found him by accident, but it was really providence, and brought him home. And it was discovered that he had a rare form of amnesia. And he's now being treated by a doctor who specializes in that kind of amnesia. But when I read that story, and I thought about it on another level on a spiritual level if we're not careful the church is in danger of developing spiritual amnesia and wandering out into the fog of errant doctrine and leaving the fundamental creeds that have so conditioned our faith and so here we are at a text that reminds us that what we're doing on this day is we are celebrating the ultimate survivor. And if you want to make it through, if you want to survive, you have to have a relationship with this ultimate survivor. I looked at chapter 11 of Hebrews in a different light when God put this thought in my spirit that Hebrews 11 is the survivor series and it chronicles those great men and women of faith who by faith was able to survive the torment and the torrents of their times. That's part of what is at the core of this Easter celebration is is when the devil and when the grave thought they had the Lord checkmated. Amen. God had one more move. Amen. One more move because early Sunday morning, Amen. I ought to have somebody here. Early Sunday morning, he got up Amen. with all power in his hands. And what we're looking at in the text, the ultimate survivor, and the text says that we need to look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. What makes him? I had to ask the question of the text. What makes the Lord the ultimate survivor? What should encourage us in the text to look to him You have to understand the context because what follows chapter 11 is this summary and this last salvo in the writer's argument that was designed to encourage the diminished determination, the sagging spirits, the bewildered beliefs of the saints who are addressed in this letter, who are suffering persecution This letter is written to folk who are under pressure. They are going through some difficult times. And so when you read Hebrews, you have to understand that there is a pastoral imperative that is undergirding and driving the writer's focus and writer's method. He's trying to encourage the spirits Encourage the belief and the faith of those who are suffering persecution. Most believe under the reign of the emperor Nero. And so in chapter 11, what he has done is lifted up sterling examples of people who walk by faith and not by sight. In the context of reminding people that without faith... It's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. And so all these people who are listed in what many call the Hall of Faith, what I call the Survey of Survivors, are designed, their stories are designed to encourage the spirits of these other saints. What the writer's doing is lifting up all these individuals as examples, as demonstrations, as living models of what faith can do. But then the writer said, I need to give them the ultimate example. We have a chapter division here in our King James, but in the original, it all kind of flows together. Those chapter divisions aren't inspired in the original. He said, oh, I need to tell them who the ultimate survivor is. You know, we've talked about Moses and Abraham, and and we've talked about Elijah and Daniel and, and Joseph and Enoch and all these individuals, but I need to tell them who ultimately they need to look to. He says, look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the ultimate survivor, and here's the three reasons why. First of all, because of the faith he fosters. It says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's amazing to me, and I thank God for the very faith that he fulfills. He also inspires. What happens in life as we get older, and and there ought to be some wisdom that come with age, is we start looking back, and even those times we thought we were doing our own thing, we see God was still working, and he was creating the very desire that he would fulfill. So the writer says, he is the author. His will is a stylus that writes on the palette and the papyri of our life. He is writing, and because he is sovereign... If he's not defining your life, he's determining your life. At the end of history, every knee, everybody in here, every knee up in here, every knee, every knee, every knee knee shall bow. Every tongue gonna confess You you may not want to give Jesus no time right now, but the day going to come. And you are not going to be able to just do it on Easter and Christmas when you get ready to. The day will come when every knee shall. He said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father in a spiritual context, he is the LCD. He's the least common denominator. He's the factor that divides every other factor. In the British system, he's the highest common factor. What is our lowest common denominator in Britain is the highest common factor. He's the lowest common denominator and the highest common factor. I know how to smell relief. And it's J-E-S, US. He's the author. And the finish. You heard me last week. He finished what he started. And he's starting what he's going to finish. And the only thing that's really going to matter when life is over is if you had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe in. And so he's the... Ultimate survivor because of the faith that he fosters. Because of the faith that he fostered. Secondly, because of the focus that he favored. Who for the joy that was set before him. Not just the faith that he fostered. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But this text says, who for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Despising the shame. Who for the joy? It literally means for the sake of the joy. Just imagine this. He went to the cross for the joy. He went to the cross for the joy. Now, interpreters really struggle with this. Some say it was the joy he would experience. He knew he would have when he fulfilled his father's plan. But then another perspective is it's the joy he perceived, the joy he knew he would have because he was not dying for his sins because he was at all points tempted yet without sin. He was dying for the sins of the world and for the joy of seeing us. And you know, the Bible says that that when one sinner repents down here, there is joy in heaven. For the joy of seeing you and I come to a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. In 2005, I saw the passion of the Christ for the first time. I saw it before it came out to the movies. Judy and I were at a conference in Orlando. And Mel Gibson came to the conference. It was an international pastor's conference. And he shared this movie with us for the first time. It was controversial. Some were claiming anti-Semitism, that it was going to be very divisive. Mel Gibson came out and spoke to us, talked about the movie and how people were getting saved on the set. And then that night, we saw the movie. I don't believe there was a dry eye in that auditorium when that movie was over. Now, I know it's just a movie, but in terms of a presentation of what it may have been like. In my sense about it, it was probably worse than the movie could depict. It wasn't the Jews that killed him. It wasn't the Romans that killed him. It wasn't the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin. He died. He died for me. But when he was hanging on that tree, he died for me. For the joy that was set before him when he saw my joy. When he saw my joy, when he saw your joy. He delights. It was his delight, his ultra delight, (laughs) the joy, the focus that he favored. There was a focus. It was joy. It was joy. It wasn't a conspiracy. He already said, I lay my life down. It was a joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross. And endure, if I had time, I tell you, in the original, endure is not passive, meaning the subject receives endurance, but the subject actually initiates endurance. Even the verb form in Hebrews is indicative that he was in control. He was enduring. He was calling the shot for the joy. That was said before him. Finally, he's the ultimate survivor. Not just because, not just because of the focus that he favored or the faith that he fostered, but the future that he fortifies. The future that he fortifies. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And here it is. Here's the future. See, this is what's happening in a spiritual realm right now. That's why we ought to be shouting because, see, victory, victory is coming. Yeah. What began as a fight in the spiritual realm and moved into the natural realm, the victory in the spiritual realm has already been won. In the Old Testament, the father in creation As he was driving that, he, at the end of it, he looked at everything he made and he said it was good. And the Bible says, and he rested on the seventh day. Didn't he do it? Now, look at it from the redemption standpoint, which was the son's primary responsibility. He did his job. See, they got a swing shift operation going. The son finished his work just as the father finished his work. When he got through, he sat down. He sat down. He sat down. Because ain't nothing else to be done. The work is, see, the devil has been defeated. The grave has been defeated. Death has been defeated. You see, and everything now is just a cleanup operation. And so we ought to run with patience. We ought to run with patience. The race that is set before us. Because Jesus has already crossed the finish line. And he's there at the finish line, sitting at his throne room, said, come on, child of God we ought to be motivated by the fact that Jesus has finished the race. He's ran the course. He's paid the price. He's fulfilled the plan. And the victory has already been won. There was a jockey who had just unparalleled success. And somebody asked this jockey, said, what is your secret of success? Because we do see you bending over this as if you're whispering something. In the horse's ear before the race began, before you break out of the gate. The jockey told him, he says, I tell every horse I ride, roses are red, violets are blue, horses that lose are turned into glue. (laughs) This horse I'm riding won't be turned into glue. I'm running. I'm not tired yet. I'm running. I'm not tired yet. I know he's able to take care of me. One of these mornings, it won't be long. You're going to look for me and I'll be gone. I'm a survivor of hard times and tribulations. I'm a survivor of lonely nights. Uh, I'm a survivor of some near-death experiences. I'm a survivor, Uh, do I have a witness? I could have been dead and buried in my grave, but he spoke one word, made old death behave. I'm a survivor of some disappointment. Do I have a witness here? Any survivors in the house?
0: You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on Certain Truth for Uncertain Times.